We've been looking at the church uh, when it was young, uh, stories of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the new believers who were establishing churches, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, and what they were up to as God was on the move in the middle of their area and their region. A couple of weeks ago, Paul talked to us about, uh, kind of, uh, Pastor Paul talked to us about the Apostle Paul's adventures in Thessalonica, um, the book, uh, the recipient, a church that was young at that point, that was the recipient of the, uh, the two books, First and Second Thessalonians later on in the Bible. He talked about how uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul went there and uh, just proclaimed uh, and argued and interacted with the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people about the uh, message of Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent from the Lord, Christ himself, God himself uh, incarnate to bring the message of salvation to the people. And we talked about how he articulated and argued and interacted with them on that. Last week, Mike uh, came and spoke to us out of chapter 17 and, and talked about the Apostle Paul's interaction with the Berean church and their persecution that they faced, he faced from them. Uh, Acts 17 will continue actually next week. We're going to break the chronological order here. Acts 17 will continue next week with Paul, Apostle Paul's visit to Athens and the Mars Hill address that uh, is so famous that's recorded in there. And then uh, I'm going to be taking chapter 18, which is after those three, Thessalonica, Berea, and then Athens. And now he's on to Corinth, which, of course, you'll recognize as the recipient later on of the first and second Corinthian letters in Scripture. Uh, Paul's visit that we're looking at this morning takes place about 50 A.D. And about five years later, about 55 A.D., is when first Corinthians, a letter to them, is written by Paul. So you can kind of see we're going to look at what is now, and then we'll also peek into 1 Corinthians for some, some reflecting back that Paul does five years later on his initial interaction with this, uh, this city and the people. It's a big city. It's a metropolitan-type city, Corinth was. It was a major player in the Roman Empire at the time. It was a trade city. It was a hub. It's kind of a gateway city for a number of different reasons. It was a gateway city for harbors and for commerce. It had two harbors in it. And so you would have trading ships coming from all over the Mediterranean and all over the larger world at the time, bringing their wares there. And so there was a lot of the world in this city. Uh, there was a lot of commerce and richness in this city. It was also a city that was not only a commercial center, but it was also notorious at the time for the hedonism and the immorality of the city. Uh, the city's high place featured a temple to the goddess of the city, who was uh, Aphrodite, who was the goddess of, of love and fertility and sexuality. And, and so as part of that worship, there was all sorts of just messed up images of sexuality and love. Messed up picture of love in Corinth. First Corinthians, Paul writes things like, let me redefine love for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Ah, okay, that starts making sense then. And so it was, uh, in fact, there was a lot of slang in the area at the time. If, if you were seen with a, with a Corinthian companion, that was kind of uh, slang for, oh, you saw somebody on the corner and gave them a little bit of money for some friendship. And so even in the vernacular of the time, Corinth was, uh, was, was put aside as a place of uh, immorality sexually. One ancient writer describes Corinth as a town where none but the tough could survive. It's a hard city with hard people. Yeah, this is also the city where Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans from. So he spent some good time there. We'll find out that he spent about a year and a half, about 18 months in the city on this particular visit when he's there. 
Paul had been sent to this city partly because it was a hub city. It was a gateway city. Because in the strategy of the Holy Spirit, understanding what the Lord would do is he wanted to put in at the, at the, at the well of culture uh, influence and seeds of the gospel that it might go forth and trickle out all over the region. And so if a church was planted there, surely it would shoot off all over the known world at the time. And so it was by no mistake that he ended up in Corinth. Uh, and he ended up there, um, he ended up there in a negative circumstance. He'd been on three churches now, or three cities now, pardon me, that had really kicked him out, beat him up, verbally abused him, uh, even tried to kill him. Uh, he was weak. He was probably discouraged. And it's in that context alone, not with his usual tribe that he would go on mission with. Guys like Timothy and Silas, they'd come later, but he enters the city alone. Uh, chapter 18, if you're following along, if you want to grab one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, by the way, if uh, you aren't, uh, don't have a Bible, uh, those Bibles you can take and when you leave, and that's our gift to you. Uh, and feel free to uh, read those and to take them with you. Uh, Acts chapter 18 is where we are in verse 1 says this, I'm actually reading out of the NIV, which is a little bit different than the chair Bibles there. Same original text, uh, translated out, just slightly different with the same intent. It says this about uh, the entry into Corinth for the Apostle Paul. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Let's hit the pause button there for just a sec to give a little bit of context. Uh, Claudius was overseeing Rome at the time and he was getting quite fed up with the interaction between the Jews and the Christians and the tension and the infighting. And so he basically, in 49 AD, kicked out all the Christians, all the Jews. Get out of the city. Done with you. Hit the highway. And so that kind of spread them out. And so they went to all sorts of other cities in the region. And that's how Aquila and his wife Priscilla end up in Corinth. A year later, in AD 50. And so Paul meets them. And it turns out, as the verse continues, Paul went to see them. And because he was also a tent maker or a leather worker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothing in protest and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so he switches focus now at this point from speaking into the Jewish people to focusing on the Gentile people. So Paul leaves the synagogue and he goes next door to the house of Titus Justus, who was a Gentile, a worshiper of God. Now Crispus the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Now one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you. Because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them, the word of God. Now there's a few more verses and we'll come to those in a little bit. Let's just stop for a moment and pray and uh, jump into it with both feet.
God, thank you that you put on Luke's heart to write down and record this book called Acts that we have today. And that it not only showed the, the good times and all kind of a polished cross and a, a polished missional journey of, of the Apostle Paul and others, but also the tough times like we're going to see this morning. God, because reality is your kingdom doesn't just come to those who have it all together. Your kingdom is much, is, is much amongst those of us who are struggling to keep it together. God, I pray that this morning hope might rise, that your spirit would well in us and stir in us encouragement that can only come through your spirit's work in our hearts and in this community of faith and through your word as we read it. I ask you as I open my mouth that you might give me words that I might fearlessly make plain and simple and obvious the gospel and the hope it contains uh, that the kingdom of God is among us and establishing itself more and more each and every day. In your name we pray these things, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I lived in Lethbridge a number of years ago. Some of you are aware of that. Uh, and I was between ministry roles full-time in a church. And so I picked up different work at different places. Sometimes I worked in a sawmill for a little while at a furniture factory. I uh, did some work in food processing earlier on. And this particular job I got a hold of at this particular moment in time was at a food processing plant for corn. And living in Lethbridge, of course, the corn that was coming to us was Tabor corn, which if you're from Alberta, you know is supreme. Now, if you're from the lower mainland, you'll think, no, 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 no. Chilliwack corn is supreme. And it was just like the war of the corns. And Chilliwack, Tabor, Chilliwack, Tabor, who's is better, who's is best? Tabor. Um, and so they would bring Tabor corn by the truckloads to this processing plant. And I got a job in the, on the, the kind of the assembly line, the conveyor belt, right at the beginning. Uh, in fact, the trucks were just probably about 15, 20 feet to my right on this conveyor belt where they'd back up and they'd dump all the corn on the conveyor belt. It would come along and these machines would begin to husk it, take off the husks and begin to break off the stems that were there. And at the point in the conveyor belt where I found myself, along with four other people, we would see the rough corn come through. And if it wasn't husked properly, we'd have to take it and just chuck it back. And it would fall again down the chute and go through a second time. If there was stems out, we had to make sure those stems were broken off. Because if the stems got past us into the other machinery, it could damage the other machinery. And so all day, we would just grab the corn and throw it back or break off those stems and throw them back. And it was not hard mental work, but it was pretty hard physical work. We were actually outside. The sun was coming down from behind us, kind of beating on us there. And I should have known when the four other individuals all happened to be ladies, uh, all happened to be about 5'4", beside me here, and me, at about 6, I thought, no problem. Just because the conveyor belt is kind of chest height for them and they're just doing the work, uh, I, I, it's okay. I'll just bend over slightly, 45 degree angle, for eight hours. Following that day, got home, had a little bit of supper, and was on the phone halfway through supper to my buddy at a hot tub. <laughs> Help! Uh, my wife, and it was just son at the time, were out of town. Um, we had just moved back to Lethbridge from living somewhere else, and so didn't have a lot of uh, relationships necessarily that I uh, had reestablished yet, and so. I did have a phone call to a friend with a hot tub, and I sat and soaked in there for a while, and my back hurt. I gotta tell you, I was not physically built for leaning over to 45 degree angle for hours on end. Went back the next day, the job continued, but halfway through the day, back spasms started, right? 
So I just had to walk away from it. I actually checked out of work earlier. I remember that day I went home. I was discouraged. I was lonely. You may, if you've stuck around here long enough, realize I'm a fairly social person. I enjoy visiting with people. I enjoy interacting with people. Uh, it happened to be the four others on the conveyor belt, besides being significantly shorter than I, also shared a different language than I. And so I was kind of tapped out emotionally because interacting with people is some of what fills my tank. My family was gone, so I had no one to complain with. I'm a high needs guy when it comes to complaining. Um, and, and so I left work early. I phoned and said, look, if I'm going to come in for a shift tomorrow, uh, back is really not handling this line well. They said, yeah, we thought that would probably happen. That often happens to guys your size. Why did you put me there then? So dysfunctional management and organization aside, uh, they put me underneath the machine the next day. <laughs> Which sounds like I'd be on all fours, but really was hollowed out underneath, so I wasn't. But I did have to wear a rain jacket and rain pants in the scorching heat because underneath the machine, all the water was constantly raining. And my job was to make sure all the husks and the stem that missed getting out with the machine that fell through didn't get into the grates and block all the water from going down. So now I'm in Niagara Falls all day. And stuff up and back still hurts and, and so three days in that was it i was done i remember phoning my wife and saying i am just i'm just undone i just cannot handle this anymore isolation uh, i I'm, I'm tired i'm i'm feeling broken and and it wasn't a buck up job because i'd had hard jobs before it was like just the circumstance i was discouraged now that's three days for me some of you guys, you're discouraged and live there for days or weeks or months or years where the situations of life just kind of are on you and you are discouraged. That's three days for me. Some of you endured a lot more than that day in and day out. Discouragement. You're just feeling like hope is getting sucked out of you. You're hurting emotionally, maybe physically, maybe relationally. And it's in the midst of that context that really I think Paul was when he came to this. Uh, he writes later from 1 Corinthians when he addresses and thinks back to that first arrival in verse chapter 2, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians. He, he says this to them. I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. Guy was lonely. New city, knew no one, alone. Without his regular friends. Financially, not a lot in his pockets at all. Which is one of the reasons why in Corinth he begins to work as a tent maker, leather worker. And then only on Sunday, or pardon me, Sabbath, Saturday, go to the synagogue and interact with the Jews. Whereas in every other city, he just went there as far as we can see. And just daily made it his routine. So he had to work in a different way. Financially, nothing in his pockets emotionally beat up. I mean, he's almost been killed and verbally abused and kicked out of other cities. He's discouraged. And now he's going into the midst of this gateway city that's known for its heathenism, that's known for its worship of other gods and its idolatry. It's known as a rough, hard place. And he is, I can't imagine anything else but discouraged. I love that Luke doesn't give us a polished record of the founding of the church where everybody is perfect. 
uh, he gives us a real picture of the church where God comes alongside and helps those in real life. Um, today, I, I just want to give us a few pieces of hope out of this story of Paul. For those of us who are discouraged either now, a reminder for those of us who have been discouraged in the past so we can give glory to God for how he gave us hope there. And for those of us who may be walking into seasons we don't know about that are going to be full of discouragement in the future, some things to hold on to as an anchor in the midst of this. Because God is there in the midst of this. Let me be sure and clear with you. Uh, I didn't take the time because I was jotting around hauling middle school and high school students off to airports and U.S. and doing other things down at Camp Quantos this week to make notes for you to fill out. So if you've got a bulletin today, you're going to see a blank page. Consider it your test. For the past many weeks and months, you've been given point one, two, three, four, and filled in the blank. Today you get to come up with your own points. Creativity welling up. Some of you are loving this. Others of you are going, good, don't have to fill that in. You can just listen. Either way, I'm good with. Taking notes, uh, seeds of hope you might write down and There's a few different seeds I want to give you. The first seed of hope for Paul the Apostle when he walked into this circumstance was that God gave him friendship. Uh, I won't spend a lot of time talking about this. The last sermon I did was with you, I believe, was on the importance of being connected to community. And if you want the long form of the short thoughts I'm going to give you now, go grab that and take a listen to it. But he walks into, as I've mentioned, this new city all alone, no connections, And what's the first thing he does? First thing he does is he goes to a place of worship, the synagogue, where he can find other followers, perhaps, of Christ. And he meets Aquila, and he meets his wife, Priscilla. People of hospitality. In fact, over just another chapter, or another few verses in uh, chapter 18, down when 24, 26, when another guy, Jew named Apollos, comes to the city and does some instructing in the scriptures to them, it says in verse 26, that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And so Priscilla and Aquila heard him and they invited him to their home and explained to him uh, the way of the God more uh, adequately. So they opened up their home. Hospitable people. Anywhere in the world you can go to an evangelical church and find camaraderie. You can find hospitality. You can find community. I love that about the people of God. Absolutely love that about the people of God. All of us at some point, many of us at some point have moved to this city. And where we found rich community has been when we came to the church. People with the same type of understanding of life, the same faith as us. It's a place where we can connect to community. I guess I just want to encourage you, if you're somebody who feels lonely, if you feel like you're kind of hanging out on your own in faith, you need to connect in to a greater level in community. I don't know whether it be home groups, There's tables out in the foyer about going on hikes. They do long hikes, the hiking club at this church. Like, long hikes. And good talking and good bonding and good visiting can happen. Miss you over those hikes. Go connect the community in a hike. Uh, You can connect community over go-karts, guys. I saw that out there. You know, some of us are a little old to put on the helmets and the gloves, but we're not too old to cheer. And when people crash, to laugh at them. Because that's just part of go-karting, and that's fun. There's all sorts of ways we can connect to community. You're feeling like you're on your own. Connect to community because something happens in the midst of community that we're just wired and created for. Genesis chapter one, verse one says, "In the beginning, God created." 
And the word God in English is singular. God. It's correctly translated in my Bible. It's correctly translated in yours. Singular. But in the original Greek, pardon me, in the original Hebrew, it's actually a plural word. Correctly translated in English, singular, but it's actually a plural word. In the beginning, God's. Now, now let me clarify that because the language of Hebrew is greater, uh, greater uh, expounding than in these ideas than the English language is. Father, Son, Spirit. Three distinct personalities, but in such perfect relationship with one another. They're one. Complete unity. In the beginning, God, three, but one created. And a little bit later, it talks about the fact that God created us, you and I, humanity, in his image and his likeness. Not We were created as relational people to be fully known and to know others. There's something about relationship and connectivity that God has wired into us because it's part of who he is. He is community with himself. And one of the first observations God makes about humanity, is it not, that man, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, he wasn't alone. He had a relationship with his God, his creator. But there was some kind of a wired-in human-level contact that wasn't there yet. We're wired for community and relationship. It's deep and real and knowing. So God creates woman. And we have this picture of the first marriage. I talked about this last Saturday. I was in Granville Island, Vancouver, uh, performing a marriage ceremony for a kid who grew up in youth group in Lethbridge. He's found a wife and was able to uh, do their wedding. And I spent some time in Genesis 1 because it's, it's where it's all laid out. Our need, our deep need to, for relationship. We were created for relationship. And unless we have that community, we miss out. Silas and Timothy show up a little bit later. Uh, they also bring a little bit of cash with them, which is nice. It's a gift from one of the other church communities. And this change happens, I don't know if you caught it there, in, in 18 verse 5, when Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So they bring a financial gift now that now unburdens him from having to give some of his time to the work of tent making, leather making, which is a skill he has and a trade he's willing to do so it wouldn't be a burden to others, but it's not his calling. He wants to give himself fully to that so then he can exclusively, now that he's got this financial gift, give himself to that. Good friends bringing gift, community. And so hope comes through community for Paul. What has it been great when somebody comes up and asks you how you're doing? You say, I'm having a terrible week. I'm discouraged. I'm worn out. You say, just let me, can I pray for you? Community. Seed of hope that God gives Paul in the midst of his discouragement. Without it, gathering together at church is just cold religious duty. It's mechanical. It's habitual. But it's devoid of what we were created to have. Faith, community. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom that is established in isolation. It's established and lived out in community. Another thing that is given to Paul, a seed of hope, in the midst of his weakness and his fear and his trembling, is just really, frankly, just some positive results. Once in a while, you need some hope. Something go well. And, and when something goes well in the midst of a string of bad circumstances, and you know it's from the Lord, it is like cool water on a hot day. It just quenches something. It revives something in you. 
Jump with me if you want to uh, back into verse 6. He's exclusively now preaching in the synagogue. And the same pattern starts to happen again. It's happened in the last three cities. He starts preaching and explaining Christ. And he gets backlash. It's becoming predictable now. It says, when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes. He protested and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. And I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. He says, that's it. I'm done with this same old cycle. Granted, through persecution, the church expands. We learned that last week. And so now, instead of Paul just focusing on the Jewish, this persecution led to him now expanding and also talking to the Gentiles. It's a good thing, but it's got to be a discouraging thing. What's next, Paul says. Now I'm going to get kicked out of the city. I'm going to get beat up again. And we get started all the way. Discouragement, cycling in his life. But then hope, then hope springs up. He leaves the synagogue, goes next door to the house of Titus Justus, a Greek man, but also a worshiper of God. And then what happens? Just when he's wiped his feet of the dust of the synagogue and says, forget it to all the Jews. Crispus. Not just any Jewish guy, but the, the synagogue ruler, the top dog in the house of God. He and his entire household believe in the Lord. Come on. Are you serious? Like, it's just not the little, the little guy over here who comes once a week. It's not just the, the, the guy who tends over here and does the cleanup. This is an equal in God's sight, all those roles are. But an encouragement to Paul that the guy who's running the show gives his heart to God. Come on. And not only that, it says many of the Corinthians... Many of the Corinthians who heard and believed and were baptized. And 1 Corinthians records some of the baptisms that he does. Right after that discouragement wells up in him again, hope springs afresh by some positive results. And if you've ever been in a situation or circumstance where you're just down and beat up and you're like, God, how long? Sometimes it's just a drop. Sometimes it's a flood. But when God meets you in that moment with just a positive peace, maybe a phone call, maybe an encouragement note, maybe it's a switch in somebody's attitude or circumstance, hope springs alive. We don't know the timing between the synagogue leaving and the synagogue ruler coming to Christ. We don't know the time frame in there. But God is faithful. He gives us hope. Uh, Tony Campolo, famous preacher, teacher in the States, once said about the crucifixion and then the resurrection and the time in between, it's Friday, but some of you know this, Sunday's coming. Friday looks bad. Son of God killed the disciples. This is not according to the plan. This is bad. How is this going to possibly end well some of them were listening and knew it might three days later christ's resurrection happens and the whole game changes salvation springs new life eternally becomes a possibility through that death 
and that resurrection. Some of our lives today, it's Friday. But the hope, even that Paul experienced, is that Sunday's coming. New things are on the horizon. We wait for it. And in its time, God will do it quickly. There's a third. Take a note. See, I'm giving you one. You got that community. Two, positive circumstances or results. Three, another seed of hope that he gives Paul is just the promises. And it comes out in this vision that he has. It says this. Verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. It says three things, really. It says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. He says, I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. He says the third thing, I have many people in this city. And most commentators say that that is probably foreshadowing the fact that God is going to call out many to salvation in that city. There's work to be done, Paul. Um, In the midst of discouragement or circumstances that will be discouraging, out comes these promises. We've already understood that uh, this word that don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, I'm with you. I love that promise of God. I am with you. Jesus says, um, I am with you, even until the end of the age. I will never, never leave you or forsake you. These are promises from God that we can stand in and spring up hope. I, I just grabbed a few random promises from Scripture. Uh, harking back to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29.11. Many of us know this one. Members have maybe memorized this one. It says, as Jeremiah writes to the Israelite nation, but is also applicable to us because it's the heart of God. It says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not disaster. To give you a future and a hope. It doesn't promise not to put us through discouraging situations that will refine us, that will prune us, that will cause us to grow, that will cause his word to spread. But he does say, I have plans for you and a future and a hope. And it's good. Matthew 11, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. One paraphrase says, Come to me and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. More poetic take on that. Isaiah, back to the Old Testament again, speaks of this of the Lord to the people of Israel. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, another translation says hope in the Lord, will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's promises of the word and of God's character that we can stand in. Again, not connected necessarily with an immediate timeline, but his heart for us as a whole. Romans 8 says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, 
fear for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Promises that we can live in when we feel discouraged and despairing. Last one, Proverbs chapter 133. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. When we live in Christ, there's a peace that, as the scriptures say, passes understanding. It doesn't make sense in the situation, in the context. It's something that comes from God. It's a fruit or an offshoot of his spirit in us. Galatians 5, Paul himself listed as what he calls a fruit of the spirit. Peace. God establishes it deep within us in the midst of turmoil as an anchor point, as a promise that we can root ourselves to. That's the first promise that comes out of this, a promise to be with him and that he doesn't need to be afraid. He says, no one is going to attack and harm you. It goes on. I stopped at verse 12 earlier when I was reading. Let me, let me pick up on it. As we kind of come to a conclusion here. While Gallio was pro-council of a particular region, the Jews made an, that Corinth was a part of, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. What law? The law of Moses. Just as Paul, and the, and the Old Testament, just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if you Jews were making complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me, side note, as the proconsul in the area, to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle this matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. And so he had them ejected from the court. And they all turned to the new synagogue ruler, because remember Christus now has become a Christian and is no longer in that role. It's a new guy now. They turned to him and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. And the promise of God rings out in Paul's memory from the vision he just had. No one is going to attack and harm you. And the third promise, because I have many people in this city. And verse 11 says, so Paul stayed for a year and a half, far longer than any other city that he invested in on his missionary tour to teach them the word of God. He decided to put down some roots and live there. Live amongst these people. Promises that spring hope up in him that gave him the endurance to stay in this place and establish a church that would plant churches. It wasn't a pretty church. It wasn't a perfect church. First and second Corinthian letters make that very clear. We're unpolished. We're not perfect people, even in this place. We have blemishes and warts spiritually and wrinkles. I can be ugly people at times. The gospel is refining us. Jesus is changing us. But we're only perfect through Christ. If you come to church and you think, man, it is just full of a bunch of hypocritical people who say they follow Jesus and are going to be like him and have been transformed by him, but look nothing like Jesus. I don't want anything to do with that. Newsflash, we're in the same place as you, imperfect people. 
who understand that we are being refined and made perfect through Jesus Christ. So the hope to those of us who are discouraged because we're not there yet and we keep tripping on the same old sins or the same old habits or have that person that's just a thorn in our side and they're a part of our church and how could God not be dealing with them? Well, God says, look, I'm working in their heart, but I'm working in yours too. So before you go and accuse them of having a big old speck in their eye, pull the timber out of your own. I'm at work in all of us. A culture and a community of grace and forgiveness, love and second chances. Um, that's what being a part of the community of Christ and the kingdom of God is all about. And hope springs up in the midst of that for us even today.